This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Analyzing Anfield. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by David Hughes. How are you getting on, mate? Very good, thanks, Josh. How are you, more importantly? I'm good as always, but I feel like this little intro is getting a little bit stale, isn't it? I mean, it's, we, you need to start introducing a few and start asking me how I am or something like this. We need to mix it up a little bit. Maybe I should stop uh, getting my haircut again. You know, I can't give us something <laughs> yeah. for a couple of months, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, or maybe for a few episodes you should just start going on just miserable, absolutely devastated every week or something like that. That'll mix yeah, it up. Well, yeah, well, if Liverpool keep winning the title, I'm sure I will be, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this week's episode then, obviously it's a little bit dry on the football in front. Liverpool haven't signed any players since Samikas. Mm. We went into great detail on him last week. No one, none of Liverpool's rivals have signed any players really either. We thought Sancho was going to go through. That seems to have hit some stumbling blocks. Uh, I can't think of any other players. I mean, William, but we spoke a little bit about William. Yeah. So this week... Go say the Havertz one for Chelsea. Yeah, the Havertz one seemed... Yeah, that seems to have uh, gone a little bit quiet. So, in terms of transfers, it does seem a little bit, well, quiet, yeah. I mean, we can start talking about Aston Villa to sign and players like that, but, you know, I'm not really sure that there's much of an interest from the Liverpool fan base and that sort of stuff. So, what we're going to do is, I'm not sure if this is the first ever episode that is going to be fan-led in terms of an idea sent in by a listener that we're going to actually just tackle for the whole episode, really. So, this is from, I hope I pronounce his surname right. <laughs> um, this is from Chris Cochran. Um, I assume he's Irish, but I'm, I'm not sure. Um, he suggested that on the back of the Samikas uh, episode, we obviously went into great detail on Samikas, why Liverpool have signed him, why it makes sense. But this podcast is only about just under two years old, I think. So, when Liverpool bought Salah, Fabinho, Allison, Firmino, Mane, whatever, this podcast wasn't going, so we didn't really, we couldn't provide that insight. So this lad sent me a message and just asked whether we could go along the same lines with Samikas podcast, but with you know why Liverpool bought Firmino, why Liverpool bought Mane, Salah, Robertson, Van Dijk, Fabinho, and Allison. Other players that we're going to do today, if we get through them all, I mean, you know, I'm not sure how long it's going to take. But it's a shame that the podcast weren't going back then, Dave, is it? Because uh, you know, we they would have been big signs for us to cover. Since we've only been able to cover Mina Mino and Samikas, two players were probably going to be back up, really. Mm. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, it kind of felt that like that those couple of seasons was a little bit of. I don't know if I'm overstating this, but it felt like a little bit of a, a golden period in terms of transfer business for this modern Liverpool side in terms of what they've become. Um, and yeah, it would have been really good, especially for us to to drill down on them. But you know, I suppose retrospectively, we're doing the same now, and it'll hopefully we'll be able to shed some light on on maybe why Liverpool uh, were so keen to to bring these players in. Yeah, so we're gonna go. In, in the order from which the players signed, really. So we're going to start with with Roberto Firmino. And if you do look 
at Liverpool during this period, I'm less confident in saying that this was an intentional genius buy. I mean, it might have been, but this was a bad period for the club. This the, the, the recruitment was all over the place. I had a look at who we bought in that window, which I will get to. But yeah, I'm 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 a little bit mixed when it comes to what Liverpool had in mind when they really bought Firmino, because I I assume they bought him as a ten, but I really have no clue. To be honest, it's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, it's so funny you say that. Because, I can hear my echo there, so apologies to anyone if there's any sound issues. But we, we we covered that, didn't we, last week, Josh, that we're just missing the studio so much. Yeah, um, just, just for the record, it's fine on my side. I can't yeah. hear much of an echo, so. Well, hopefully uh, you, you guys can't hear it. Um, but, yeah, it's so funny you say that, you know, Josh, because... One of the first things I've put in, you know, we do kind of brief notes before the show. And one of the first things I said in mine was, uh, I'm not really sure how part of the grand scheme of things this transfer was. Because if I'm right in saying it was it was pre-clock, wasn't it? Um, I think it was the back end of Rogers. You know, it, went, it wasn't really the Liverpool that you see now. I don't even think the 4-3-3 was that prevalent at the time was I think it was more a four two three one formation. Um for me, you know, wasn't really a a, a centre forward. I know he's quite unique as he is now, but that final season he had a quick gander and he played there twice. Um he played as an attacking midfielder nineteen times and a second striker thirteen times. Um so I don't know. I mean obviously there's a player there operating between the lines, doesn't he? And that will kind of fit what he's saying out to be for Liverpool. Um, he had decent outputs as well. Um, you know, in terms of only basic stuff that we could look back on during that period, goals and assists, it was seven goals, ten assists for the eighth placed Hoffenheim side. So, you know, he looked like a good player, but I'm just I'm inclined to agree with you that I, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure you would have anticipated how successful he would have been, not only as a player, but also in, in, in this system. Yeah, I mean, there's positives attached to the deal. He was signed age 23. When he was signed, I was actually aware of him. I, I can't remember why. I think this was back in the days when I was a big football manager fan or something like that. But I was aware of him as a talent and, you know... I liked the thoughts of Liverpool signing them and stuff like that. It, this, this wasn't like a, a semi-cash buy where I was like, who's this lad? Um, obviously, it was five years ago. So the the whole concept of analytics was a lot smaller. Michael Edwards wasn't yet leading Liverpool's recruitment. He got appointed as the sporting director, I think, about a year and a half later. This was when Rodgers was, was still you know, kind of digging his feet into the ground, um, making a bit of a statement as to say the recruitment has to be manager-led. Bit of a dinosaur perspective, to be honest. And in the same summer that Liverpool paid £29 million for Firmino, we went and signed Christian Benteke for in and around £35 million. So, you know, when you look at that, it's, it's hard to um to summarize what the intention was there at the time we obviously had Lallana we signed Danny Ings in the same summer I think 
Nathaniel climbs around that period. Um, but in terms of looking at the grand scheme of things, and particularly the lack of pace at Liverpool at the time, going and signing Ben Seke, Ings, who's obviously good but not the quickest, Firmino, we had Lionel, we had Coutinho. Yeah, where's the speed? Where's um, the Liverpool we know today? It's it's a, it's a, a difficult one to summarise in terms of why Liverpool did it and what the intention was and whether it was genius or whether it was just kind of a lucky break. As you said, mm-hmm. they had seven goals and ten assists in the Bundesliga. I'm not sure if you looked into it, his numbers a little bit deeper, but he was he was quite creative. His, his expected assist numbers were decent. I think since he's came to Liverpool, pe- people say he's kind of like the, the creator and Salah and Mane are the scorers sort of thing. But if you look at Firmino's assist numbers, they're not really that high. He doesn't really post very very high assist numbers. He's, he was more of a creator, judging by his, his assist numbers at least, for, for Hoffenheim than he was for Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it's really difficult. You know, I, I was wondering whether you were going to be looking at maybe a a Benteke or Ings leading the line and maybe a, a front two with him playing in behind and you know the more kind of technical play and then you, you just traditional kind of striker I guess but I'm like you I'm I'm trying to put the pieces together I can't really see it I'm not really sure what direction that team was going to go um which again goes back to the point we made to start where I'm I'm just unsure about um whether this one was just a little bit of fortune in terms of how how it's turned out and how integral he's become to the to the team. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it did seem a lot like a, a Rodgers period, to be honest, because a year earlier, Liverpool signed Milana, who has been a great servant to the club. Um, Klopp's obviously a massive fan for what he does for, for the squad behind the scenes and all that sort of stuff, but... In terms of his output, he's never been much of an output merchant, so always been more of a technical, nice, aesthetically pleasing type player, which Rogers seems to like. Obviously, we signed Ben Teke, who was going to kind of be that that big physical player who also had a bit of an all-round game, also had a bit of speed, goals and stuff like that. I remember Guillaume Balagay said a few years ago that a, some a Premier League manager had asked him for a player in that mould. I think he suggested Rondon at the time oh, yeah. to, the, to the manager of Aston, but I'm, I can't remember why, but I'm pretty sure it was Rodgers at the time. I think Rodgers went through a period at Liverpool where he wanted that kind of all-round striker for quite a while. I said something along the lines of taking Liverpool on a new technical direction <laughs> when, uh, when we signed Ben Seche, so It's very Rodgers. <laughs> it is. Very Brodge. Um, <laughs> I think he lost his way. I think he lost lost his way in that period. And I think Ben Seche was a Rogers signing. And I think Firmino was what is deemed as a committee signing. Sort of not the committee had picked up picked up on Rogers weren't familiar with him particularly. When he came in, he was used on the right of midfield, I think. On the left, uh, as a ten. All this mad stuff. Um clock completely changed it when he came in and obviously started to deploy him as a number nine. Um, and I think moving forward, the other players that we're going to address, it feels like more of a plan develops, mainly possibly because of, of Klopp's interpretation of the squad and a clear plan moving forward and that sort of stuff. But 
yeah, I think we're, we're probably in the same boat here in, in Firmino when it comes to being uncertain as to whether it was a master stroke or whether it was a shot in the dark that ended up ended up hitting the target. I mean, he, he did come across in Germany as quite an unorthodox player. You know, he did have presence of his game, tricks. Um, it's it. I always wonder, you know, when when it comes to this long term plan and a club want to get a manager in, say for example, City. Pep was a massive fan of De Bruyne in 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 Germany, and it just so happens that so many months before Pep joins, you know, City going to spend fifty five million on on De Bruyne. Pep was also supposed to be a a Sterling fan at Bayern. Bayern were linked with a move for him. City going to spend fifty odd million on Raheem Sterling. Maybe this I doubt it, but maybe. Liverpool targeted Firmino as a Klopp type player or you know something like that I'm not sure but looking at Liverpool's recruitment back then it's kind of hard to determine who was actually running the ship Edwards wasn't appointed as the big man yet Rodgers was you know making statements and stuff so it just seems a bit bit of a scattergun approach that I think a lot of clubs are still suffering from now to be honest yeah there was also something you mentioned there in terms of um, the kind of period that that it was, and if you think about it, you know Liverpool nearly won the league, didn't they? Thirteen, fourteen on the Rodgers. There was this anticipation that they could hopefully push on and challenge again the year after, which was this the campaign before Firmino signed, wasn't it? Um, and if I remember correctly, that year it was a sixth place finish. Um, I am getting these years right, aren't I? Sixth place. Yeah, finish. yeah, I think so. Yeah, some some decent cup. I think there was two semi finals, but on the whole, it was a bit of a disappointment. You know, crashed out of the Champions League pretty tamely. Um, and I do, I do think there was a lot of pressure on Rodgers to try and maybe change the direction again from the thirteen fourteen kind of squad because you know he'd lost like the like to Suarez, didn't he? And he knew Gerrard was on his way. Um, and maybe he just wanted to recruit with that in mind, but then equally the club were thinking, well, you know, what players could potentially work well under a new regime? Because, you know, some people thought Rodgers might have lost his job at the end of that season because of how it, how it panned out. And maybe it was, for me, you know, was a, a kind of a play that could fit both both sides, I guess. Yeah, it was a difficult period, though. I think we lost we lost the last game of the season 6-1 to Stoke, I think. Yeah. Stephen Gerrard's last game, I'm pretty sure as well. Um, really, really bad. I think it would have been easy to just... Well, it wouldn't have been easy, actually, because the season before, Rodgers had took us as close as we'd been to a Premier League title. Next year, he's getting beat 6-1 by Stoke. Mm. But if we'd have got rid of him at that point, you know, Klopp wasn't available. So I think we kept him in charge. Obviously, when Klopp became available and kind of made it known through the press, he was interested. We were very quick to um, move Rogers out the picture, so maybe Firmino was was signed with a view to the, the new identity that Liverpool were trying to establish. Because I think right now he epitomises what Klopp's about. Mm. But certainly back then, it's it's hard to have much faith in Liverpool's recruitment because it it was very. I think one way we use quite often is aligned. I think this was the opposite. This was uh, just as I said, scattergun really. But I think the next one we got in, Sadio Mane, I do think we got him in largely because of what we needed to surround Firmino with. 
obviously Klopp started to integrate Firmino as his number nine in his first few weeks in charge. But the problem with you know anybody who's got a bit of a clue about tactics will look at Firmino and, and know that like you know if if he's your centre forward, if he's your striker, he's going to be leading your line. You need speed and goals from from elsewhere, really. And I think Sandy Omani was was identified as that. Uh, obviously, coming from Southampton, kind of a Klopp, Dortmund type sign, and I think they got Marco Royce from from a smaller German club. Can't remember who they got him from. Can you? No, not no, the And they got obviously Lewandowski from a Polish team. Mm. Um, Young from someone in the French league. You know, bottom half the French league, Rennes or, or Lille or something like that. Uh, but I think Mane was very much a Klopp sign. Um, in more ways than one, and very much a sign of that kind of, you know, indicated acted as a bit of a symbol for Liverpool's new, new dawn sort of thing. Yeah, it was actually interesting. <laughs> I noticed uh, Klopp said at the time that he uh, he he'd been a long time admirer of Mane for a while, and he said he really liked them. It was at the Olympics. When he would have been twenty, um, and he'd been tracking them ever since, and he he he, he actually was quoted as saying, you know, I've been ever since I've come to the club, I've been talking about Sadio Mane. Um, obviously Liverpool bought him at twenty four, and you just wonder if maybe Klopp was waiting to settle into an environment, and also maybe just let the player develop. You know, I imagine Mane at twenty, you know, he would have been pretty raw to, to what he is now. You know, kind of the way we speak about. And Ishmael Saar, um, although he, you know, he's blew up re- over the last couple of months. But there's the reason why so many uh, people were drawing comparisons six or eight months ago is because, you know, there is some there. And I imagine uh, Klopp kind of seen Mane in the same way. Um, you know, a really talented player. You could see what he's about to become, but maybe he just needs to develop a little bit more. But when it actually comes to signing from Southampton, um, it's easy to see. The appeal, isn't it? Really, um, you, you've already touched on the Firmino point. I think that's important because you, you, you did need to start building players around him. But you know, he was powerful, fast, dangerous. Um, he fitted the profile. You know, he had his output, didn't he? Thirteen goals, seven assists. Underlying numbers backed it up as well. Uh, backed those figures up. He just, you know, I can't remember thinking it was that perfect when it when it the deal actually got made. I could see the appeal, but I wasn't blown away I just thought he looked a good player but now looking back and maybe it is a little bit of hindsight because we've seen how, how good he's become but he just seems absolutely perfect for Klopp and this Liverpool side like you can see why he made that move yeah I'd, I'd agree with you there but I think with with the brain well I'm going to say with the brains we've got now but with, <laughs> with kind of like the perspective we've got now if Liverpool were to make that sign and now yeah. Buying a Mane from Southampton, would would you interpret that differently? Because I I am inclined to agree in terms of in twenty sixteen. I think it was so four years ago. Obviously, I was less into football uh, football analytics at the time, all that sort of stuff. So I, I agree. I wasn't looking at it thinking, oh, you know, it makes absolute sense. I didn't really know as much about recruitment at the time. I just thought it would be an, an okay sign. But I think if this was to happen now. I'd be a lot more excited about it. 100% agree, mate. As I said, I remember looking, thinking, okay, yeah, decent signing for Liverpool, but 
I, I, I would never I would never be looking the way I am now thinking you know this is this is a perfect sign for them you, you can see why they've done this to me and I feel really naive but there's no point lying um looking back I remember just thinking oh you know he looks like he's got a decent CV and he looks like he's doing fairly well he's a decent age you know scored scored a fair few and assisted in in the Premier League so they're obviously just is the big club sweeping them up um but yeah, I, I totally agree with you. All. Now I'd be looking at that so much differently, and you'd almost—I don't know—you almost tilt your cap to the sign. And now, when you when you look back on it, because uh, it was a really good move, and the the appeal is so easy to see looking back retrospectively, and and you know it, it's no surprise really how how good he's how good he's become. Yeah, I think he will have shown up to Liverpool as you know too fuzzled, uh, a bit inconsistent at the time. But still, despite his inconsistency, very versatile across the attacking line. Scored 10 goals, I think, in his debut Premier League season. Then he scored 11 in the, in the following season. You know, that's decent for, you know, Southampton, considered he's not a striker. Uh, he also registered three assists and then the season later six assists. So he was kind of indicating a bit of, you know, gradual improvement there season by season. Obviously, lightning quick, very rarely injured keeps himself in, in in great shape and in terms of the, the personality profile of him, which we probably don't talk about enough because we don't really, you know, it's difficult to get to get the knowledge of that inside the club. But he's, he comes across as incredibly humble and stuff like that. And, you know, the complete opposite of, of what you'd consider to be a celebrity sort of type. Um, I think one interesting little, little note that a lot of Liverpool fans won't be aware of, the the person who actually brought Sadio Mane to Europe. Any idea, Dave? Mm, in terms of manager or in terms of who brought him to? I don't think he was a manager at the time. He might have been a manager, but if not, he was kind of like a director of football sort of for the club. Gerard Houllier. Oh, was it really? Yeah, I he brought him to, that, Yeah, he brought him to Metz in France from... Through the academy, was it? The um, Le, Le Foot, is it? Le Foot, yeah, Generation yeah. Foot. Yeah, I think we mentioned that last week, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Generation yeah. That was in relation to Sarah, I think. Mm. But uh, yeah, I think he was uh, the man that brought him through to Europe. Except the first time you see him play was in London. I think you mentioned the Olympics there. It might have even been for the Olympics. Yeah, 2012. So, yeah, that that marries up that, yeah. Because that, yeah. that's where Klopp seems to kind of really... I think he must have come on with Klopp's radar there and he, was, he kind of tracked them ever since then. Yeah, he said he was quick, had international quality, good technique, could score goals, make goals. So, um, yeah, it's, I, think, I think it's interesting that, that, you know, bit of a long-held Liverpool connection there considering who he used to be in charge of the club. Mm. But, yeah, I think Mane just, as I said, if, if it was made now and we were covering the show on it, I think it'd be really encouraging. I think we'd be able to to offer a lot of insight into why why it's a sensible buy. His numbers, you know, they weren't astronomical and they weren't like enough to maybe generate interest from European clubs. But in fact, I actually think Dortmund were aware of him. But inside the Premier League, obviously he was Premier League proven at the time. Needed to develop a little bit more. I think Liverpool signed him when he was only twenty four. I think. And as I said, he was lightning quick, which is what Firmino wanted. So in terms of having Firmino, who's 
slow and doesn't score goals paired with Marnie who's fast and does score goals you know you're kind of masking the weaknesses of both players um, and highlighting the strengths so it just made a lot of sense really just one thing I want to add that I'd forgot completely until I was having a look at his numbers earlier he was pretty much exclusively playing on the right for Southampton that in his final season Um and it seems bizarre now to think that he's he's Liverpool's go-to left player. I know I know he's so versatile, and you know all all the front three are. Uh, but I just think that's really interesting that he, you know, obviously he's a, he's adjusted to playing on the left with such kind of efficiency regularly. Yeah, I mean, when when he first came to Liverpool, he he was deployed on the left as well because we still had Coutinho. Yeah. Coutinho can't play on the left. Uh, can't play on the right. Sorry. Yeah. So Mane was kind of like a. A right winger, really. Coutinho was kind of like a, a an inside, inside forward hybrid midfielder type thing on on the left, who just kind of bossed Liverpool's attack. Really, everything kind of went through him. But Mane was the, the crucial injection of speed that we just really, really lacked. Uh, we became such a slow team. Our fastest player was a left back, um, and he was the only player who was fast whatsoever like there was no one really who could compare to him you know i think joe gomez was in there and probably liverpool's two quickest players at the time with defenders mm. um, and then not long later we signed mo Salah. um at the time again i suppose it was a good buy but didn't didn't appreciate just how good he, he was uh and still to this day I can't really believe that Liverpool were the only only club in the queue for him at the time, considering just considering his profile and what he was offering. Mm. Just on that, Josh, before we go into the numbers, um, do you think? Because when you look at them now, they were they were good, weren't they? You know, they were. He scored a lot, a high amount of goals in Serie A. Um, Overperforming his XG, but enough that kind of made you think he was more of a a leaf finisher rather than getting getting fortunate, shall we say? Um, you know, already already starting to see a really how high output in terms of like shots and things. Not to the Liverpool, not to the level we see at Liverpool now, but certainly noticeable. And I just wonder, do you think the reason there wasn't that interest is because he went to well, basically because he, he he and I'll sorry for those who are listening. But commas, he failed at Chelsea. Do you think that's it? And he just thought he he can't do it at a at a really big club in England. Yeah, there's there's loads of I think traditional perceptions that Liverpool in the past few years have completely put in the bin, and just kind of proved that the nonsense really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when we get faded into this and start addressing the likes of Robertson and players like that. I think it's going to be, it, there's quite a clear theme that Liverpool follow when it comes to this sort of stuff. But when, it, I think Liverpool have since said, Ian Graham, I think, has since said it, the, the director of research at Liverpool, he said Salah didn't fail at Chelsea. He failed to get on the pitch. And there's a, there's a massive difference between two of those things. I think they, maybe he left England with a negative perception, but any smart club which Liverpool have become, that tracked what he did in Italy. You know, he was he was posting all kinds of ridiculous numbers. And, you know, with that, I'll move on to this. So I'll put this together. Um, 
hopefully you can see that. Yeah, we got it. Yeah. So that right is goals plus assists minus penalties per 90 in the year before Liverpool bought Salah. Europe's top five leagues, minimum 1,000 minutes played. It's quite a bit to digest. Um, but as you can see, they're, they're kind of the top performers in, in 2016, really. Uh, as you can see, there's a few familiar names at the top there. You've got Kylian Mbappe, Luis Suarez, and that was Kylian Mbappe at Monaco. Luis Suarez, Lionel Messi, these Mertens under, under Meritio Sarri at the time. Obviously, a little bit of a red red flag there that you've got Marata there, <laughs> which Chelsea obviously kind of fell for, paying £70 million for him. But just down here, one of the few on the list who isn't actually a striker, Mohamed Salah at Roma. Obviously, posting good numbers in comparison to those around him, the elite players around him, it's, it's worth noting. I'll also say as well that Edin Dzeko, who also played for Roma, had an absolutely ridiculous season. Mm. I think he scored 29 goals in Serie A or something like that. It was a mental season. So I think although Salah was very strong in the season, according to his numbers, he was actually Roma's, you know, the second man at Roma, really playing second field to, to Dzeko. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was interesting to put together, Dave, just 2016 numbers. Usually, if you, the further back you go, the worse the numbers are. Mm. But he's... Uh, you know, goals and assist numbers. So, you know, there's nothing really too elaborate there. It's not XG or anything like that. This is just standard goals and assist numbers. But as you can see, you got Salah there in amongst the, the, the top 20 in Europe's top five leagues, that is. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, that, that that's literally it. You know, the, the numbers were there. Um, you know, 2.5 shots per 90. Uh, for a non-elite side, I think it's really impressive. For as you said, not not a striker. That was kind of his time in Serie A. That that two point five, and um, it's it, it's worth saying as well that like, when you say he's not, he wasn't a striker at Roma as well. He he wasn't even really an inside forward. He was he was kind of like a winger really. I mean, I think they played four two three one at the time, mm-hmm. and and obviously you've got Jeho up front, who's a bit of a a traditional nine as opposed to a Firmino type who's going to let other players get the goals. So I think Salah was playing in the system there at the age of, I think it was 24, in a defensive league, um, in a role that wasn't wasn't really ideally suited to him scoring goals, yet he was, despite that, he was, he was obviously right up there with the best. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which... <laughs> It does just make me think that it lingered this sense that um, he perhaps, you know, found his level or he couldn't really cut at an elite club and, you know, the next kind of tier down is probably where he's meant to be. But I think you've then got to congratulate Liverpool for having a little bit more, um, I guess, confidence in the decision making to to make a move. And uh, how much did he, was he about 30 million, Salah? Yeah, I think he was. Pretty much exactly the same as as Mane or, or or just maybe about a million more. I think we ended up paying about thirty six, thirty seven, something like that. So you know, obviously it's it's a fairly substantial fee, though it looks dwarf now. If you think about what you probably get if you sold them, um, but it, it it just shows having the kind of confidence in your in your own um, beliefs on a player um, to actually make the move, and obviously it's paid dividends for them. 
Um, just a slightly separate point on Salah. I wouldn't mind getting your opinion on it or just have the conversation on the podcast. Obviously, you've then with Salah in the side, you've got a really good front forward, haven't you? Of um, Salah, Firmino, Mane, Coutinho. Um, but do you think Liverpool could maybe sense that Coutinho was going to be sold within the next maybe 12 months? Um, I knew that he could probably make a lot of money on him without actually missing him with these three players in a 4-3-3. And do you think they kind of had a contingency for that by bringing Salah in? Well, I've always said that I think Coutinho was a bit of an odd tactical fit. I think if you're creating a foolproof system, he's not the type really that you uh, you want in there almost. He's a bit of a... You have to make accommodations for him. Mm. There's a few players out there like that. I think Messi's a bit like that. Mm. I think... Uh, Obviously, your man Gilfie Sigurdsson's a bit like that. <laughs> Players that are just a bit unconventional and don't really fit a, a specific role. I think I think Coutinho was a, was a bit of a problem for Liverpool in that regard. And although Liverpool expressed an interest in keeping him, mm. I do think that those at the club who, who really know what they're talking about in terms of squad building and tactics and that won't have been that good of a solution. I think it would have been bigger if we lost Firmino. For example, even though he wasn't as much of a star at the time, mm. um, but yeah, I've said before in the past as well. I think, I think this signature was was massive for Liverpool in terms of moving towards four three three as a permanent fixture, as opposed to the the four two three one. It felt like Klopp was edging towards feet for quite a while. To be honest, we got we've, we've talked about this before. We we were linked with the uh, Mario Götze, Julian Brandt. Alex Tejira, all players who were number 10 types. I think to have Salah and Mane, it was very much like a, we've got two out and out wide forwards there. You know, it, it's going to be, a, 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 okay, we've got number 10 in Firmino, but then we've got no nine. So I think it was a it was a permanent switch after we moved Salah. I think Salah was a, a, a big, big sign for the future of Liverpool after that in terms of the tactical makeup of the team and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I agree obviously, with that that, obviously, that moved Marnie as well from the right to the left. Mm. Yeah, because, yeah. And, and just another thing as well, he, he's proved to be pretty versatile himself, hasn't he? You know, obviously, we saw Moulton being a, a kind of more traditional wide man um, with, with in, in City Art. And then he's he's then kind of become like the, the wide attacker at Liverpool, the wide forward. But we've seen him playing as a, a centre centre forward as well, haven't we? When Liverpool adjusted things, um, and obviously we know, in sometimes in transitions, him and Mane will, will swap wings with complete comfort. Um, all just little minor details that are quite, you know, quite relevant, really, when you think of this Liverpool side. Yeah, if you just, if you just look at Salah, it was just such a sensible, obvious buy. Uh, considering that, to say, as I said, he was twenty four at the time. He posted those numbers that were just shown, also left-footed, also offered the pace and the goals that we said earlier. Firmino needed around them to thrive. So it was just a, you know, a really, really obvious buy that just made so much sense at the time. Completed Liverpool's attack and trio, you know, regardless or not of whether Coutinho was going to stay or leave. Uh, yeah, really important purchase. And, I'd love Liverpool to buy someone like that now, 
so that we could do a full episode on it. I think we did quite a bit on Werner. I think Werner's in the same bracket, roughly. But Salah was a sign in particular. I think Werner was was more like, you know, people knew he was good. Mm. With Salah, it felt like a, a weird narrative had developed and a, re- a weird perception amongst the fan base that, you know, what if this doesn't work? Well, you know, I'm not sure about Salah. And I think on this podcast, we would have been able to be like, listen, this this is a great buy. It would have really been nice to produce a I told you so over a play, wouldn't it? You know, be able to say, listen, I actually think these are going to be quite good and then they turn out to be really good. I think we haven't been given enough opportunities to do them, really. You know, those little ego boosters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've had the odd little match where we've called it right. Like, I think the um, the Leicester one was good, wasn't it? Like, when we beat Leicester away from home 4-0 or something. Mm. I think before that episode, we, you know, we painted as kind of like a you know Liverpool or Leicester's worst opponent sort of thing and I think we've had a few of them like but in terms of players Liverpool have done enough business really have they for, for us to get to get on the money with them you've just made me think there actually Josh it'd be interesting to follow up on our data um scouting potential transfer players because we did that back in January didn't we on, on players that you could potentially sign purely on um, oh, okay. numbers I think it's relevant now when we're talking about the likes of Salah. Um, and off the top of my head, I, I know, I mean, there was a guy, I, I can't even remember his name, who was just a centre-back from <laughs> absolutely oh, yeah. nowhere. I'll be, I'll be keen to see what happened with him. But I know Almo went to um, Leipzig and yeah. Jonathan David's just gone to Lille. Uh, I can't remember what yours were, but it'll be interesting just to see if any, I... any others have had little moves or they've got some lines up. Yeah, I can't remember what mine were, but I'm, I know one was Martin Odegaard, and I think he's since been recalled to Real Madrid. I think he's going to play in the first team next year. His stock's massive now. Yeah, he's not getting sent out on loan anymore, but I can't no. remember who else mentioned, to be honest. We'll look at it between us, uh, and if it's if it's worth revisiting, we will. But yeah, I thought it was a good little concept. And the only reason I'm flagging is because, obviously, um, you know, these kind of the pool. I mean, they would have looked at so much more than just numbers, of course. You know, any side does, but more so Liverpool. But I think it would have been just it's just interesting because when you think of what Salah's output at the time, and obviously he's gone on to be a, a phenomenal forward in the Premier League, it's uh, just interesting. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Not long after Salah signed, we, in fact, it must have been even the other way around, but we, we got Robertson in, Andy Robertson, obviously initially didn't really make that much of an impact, barely played up until Christmas, but I think the general idea behind the sign, and I think we'd kind of identified that Moreno was a little bit, although he's got the attacking side to his game and clock once, does it clearly work with him because he had the attacking traits and stuff like that, I do think he, he just showed up really as, as not not enough of not aggressive enough, um, not enough of a of a grafter, you know, a, not much of an intimidating opponent sort of stuff on the defensive side in particular. So I think we got Robertson in his competition there, only eight million from crucially a relegated team, and I think this is one of the things that you know I sent a newsletter out, the Analyzing Anfield newsletter a few weeks ago when we were linked with Lewis, and I just kind of summed up the basic criteria for Liverpool signing. It's just 
you know, ticking these boxes. So it's just basically young, as in, you know, under 25, usually. Full of potential, athletic, undervalued, available, and attack-minded. They're basically the, the, the key pillars of Liverpool's recruitment. And I think a lot of these players that we're mentioning here, the, the available aspect is, is one that we don't often consider that much. Obviously, Robertson was clearly available. He'd just been relegated. Salah at Roma. Mane, only Southampton. Um, Firmino at Hoffenheim. Uh, so yeah, we we don't usually do we don't usually try and get players out of clubs when the club wants to keep the player because usually you end up paying a paying a bit of a premium. But yeah, Robertson for a, for about the same price that we sold Kevin Stewart for, I think two Hull. Um, and I think I just think he showed up similar to Samikas has in terms of a, a player at a different club who can whose ability will translate at Anfield. Yeah, I must say, I found the Robinson one really interesting when we've looked back this morning before the show because obviously the others you could see the um, you could mostly see the impressive kind of output, but we know with with players who've potential, especially a defender of sorts anyway, uh, relegated sides, it's difficult, isn't it, really, to see the quantifiable stuff, you know, the numbers and. I'll be honest, I didn't think, I don't even have the time to have a look, I didn't think his underlying numbers looked anything special at all in that season. As I said, the, the caveat is it's really hard to you know, have impressive numbers playing for a side who get, eventually get relegated. Um, he didn't look that great in the air. Defensive duel numbers weren't that great. Uh, I think he got one assist and I had expected assist number of like 1.1 or something. Um, so nothing remarkable, but... I'm glad that you kind of started the segment talking about those other kind of tangibles, um, you know, about the kind of uh, aggressiveness, psychology of the player, um, maybe work ethic, stamina, you know, these things that are really hard to quantify in numbers. But I feel like there are examples of Liverpool really valuing these. I think the Robertson one is, is huge, I think. I feel like they would have recruited him more on what they've watched, uh, you know, video and kind of what they've seen in matches than necessarily a player who's been flagged as uh, in the data as someone who's a bit of an outlier who'd probably be worth pursuing further. It feels like they've watched them and they've saw a lot of things that they really like about them uh, on the pitch and that's maybe led to the, the signing. Added with the fact, obviously, as you mentioned, availability and really cheap price, it was a low-risk move. Yeah, this is probably a really good point because uh, we, we can we talk a lot about numbers on this show, a lot about statistics and stuff like that. But when it comes to to recruitments, especially Liverpool's recruitments, you know, good recruitment that very rarely sees mistakes happen. There's a lot more that goes into it than just numbers, and I think in in certain in the case of certain players, you won't be like Liverpool. I, I doubt will have signed Van Dijk because of his numbers. You know, it may be his aerial success and stuff like that, but so much more goes into it. You know, the tactical side, um, the culture side, you know, what a player's like as a person, the stamina side. And it, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, when Klopp did come in, he sat down with his team of just experts and just kind of expressed 
his brand of football and what a player needs to execute that brand of football, even on the fitness side. Like, say, for example, you know, Liverpool's head of um, fitness and conditioning, Anders Kornmeyer, who we got from Bayern Munich, it wouldn't be surprised if, if he's played some part in Liverpool's recruitment over the years, simply as a, you know, from the perspective of maybe Michael Edwards, who's kind of identified Klopp's brand of football and had to identify what a player needs to, to execute that brand of football. And obviously on the physical side, you need a lot of stamina, you know, high-intensity sprints and all stuff like that. And a lot of players may not, might not be as capable of doing that. I think Liverpool just consider absolutely evident with those obviously obvious key principles ticked. And if a player applies, and in this case only costs eight million, then it's 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 way of taking a chance. I think Robertson's background in, in Scottish football and what he's like as a person, for me already suggests he's gonna be a bit more of an intense character than Moreno was, while also being just as adventurous on the attacking side. Like one one thing I hate, my right? one thing that does me head in is coming across a little bit scouts there, and one thing that does my <laughs> um, it, it's when people interpret an attack and fullback, people interpret an attack and fullback as like you know positionally um, bad. You know, he's always out of position. Or it's a really easy thing to say about uh, a fullback who's uh, who's adventurous and attacking. Always caught out as a position a lot, um, but it's not always the case. There's, there's more to it, and when it comes to playing for Liverpool, you know, being caught out of position a lot that can be easily trained and stuff like that. Mm. I, I, I also I think, also... and th- this is really important for people who want, who you know, like to do a little bit of analysis, even if it's only on a on a fan level. I think some people can be guilty sometimes of. Analyzing players like the analyzing a tennis player, and what I mean by that is analyzing players as individuals. But you've got to remember that they're all playing as part of a as part of a wider game, as part of a wider aim. You know, team tactics. So take that point that you just made, for example. Oh, he's always getting caught out of position. But you know, is he always getting caught out of position, or is he instructed to assist with the attacks? He's bombing forward. The ball gets lost um, in the middle of the park, and suddenly he's caught high up the pitch as a mistake of someone else. And now it looks as if he's out of position. When in reality, you know you're in the transition and you're attacking, and a teammate's lost the ball, and now you're having to work back. But for me, that doesn't mean that he's always in the wrong position or he's making errors. It's you know that's part and parcel of the game, and that's kind of what you have to accept um, if you instruct your wing backs to to play that role. Um, you know, I don't know if we've gone down a rabbit hole a little bit here, but I think those points are important to me. Yeah, I just think a lot of attacking fullbacks, they, they will look terrible on the defensive side of a relegated team. If you was to, like at, at the time Trent was coming through, if you were to put Trent as whole right back in that season, he's going to look, he's probably going to look awful, but that doesn't mean he is. His ability can translate into a higher quality team. When he's surrounded by better individuals, he's seeing more of the ball and all that sort of stuff. And I think we better move on to to the arguably the main man, Virgil van Dijk. This was a saga that had gone for months and months. Liverpool opted against seeking a 
another alternative when we had to wait six months before signing them, which suggested that Liverpool had one man in mind. That was Van Dijk. Um, according to the numbers, at least, I think it's quite clear that one of his biggest perks is the, the aerial dominance. I think he, he, he finished inside the top five for aerial success consistently in Europe, in, in the Premier League and all that sort of stuff. Six foot four, fast. And again, it, it's that ability to translate from Southampton to a dominant attacking team. Does he have the, the perks, the qualities, the skill set to start defending on the halfway line for Liverpool and thriving? And clearly he does. Yeah, he was a, uh, you know, Liverpool just needed some a, a quality centre back. If you think about rivals at the time, off the top of my head, City, you think company, you know, he was still there, he was integral to their defence. It felt to me like Liverpool didn't really have that leader in the in the defence and haven't had it for years. So from that point of view, you know, he was he was massive. Um, yeah, if we're, we're going to focus on numbers, I mean, I had a quick look in that. Fa- I had a look at his final full season at Southampton because obviously that's when Liverpool made the move at the conclusion of that season. And you now defensive duels won just under seventy three percent. Aerial duels won just under seventy three percent. I mean, they they that those numbers just alone, and there's so much more to defending, obviously, but just two basic metrics there. Those success rates alone would just make you sit up. Um, and then when you throw in everything else, as you said, his height, he's really strong, he's quick, he's, he reads the game fantastic, um, his decision-making's brilliant as well. You're very lit. I, 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 I was writing a piece yesterday the day before, I just come across the fact that I'm pretty sure he's made this season something like three sl- slide tackles all season. You know, and it that's just that just kind of captures how composed he is. You know, he very rarely has to lunge in. He's just kind of he's he's always he's, he's made, always in control, isn't he? Yeah, he's made in a laboratory, isn't he? Really, he's a kind of one of the kind. We we sometimes try and talk about him with and compare him to other central defenders, but it's just really hard to find a, a player like him out there. Um, he's just that good. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned earlier about the, the criteria and I mentioned the final tick box would be attack-minded. I think although Van Dijk's centre-back, his long passes in particular and what he offers on the set-pieces, I've, I've offered quite a bit to Liverpool's attacking game despite him being a centre-back. He's also obviously very cool-headed. He was captain at Southampton at the time, which again captures his personality and all that sort of stuff. Age 26 when we bought some peak years. Uh, and Liverpool, probably Liverpool's biggest weakness at, at that time was was getting bullied in the air by the likes of Burnley in particular. When you pressed them high, they just hit long and they scored some set pieces and stuff like that. And we went and signed Van Dijk, who seemed to just... The, the few weaknesses that Liverpool had left, um, that Klopp had just gradually worked on. The few that we had left, Van Dijk just seemed to completely eradicate those final few weaknesses to the point where now Liverpool are just flawless, really. I mean, you know, not a lot that you can get at against Liverpool. And I think the next player, Fabinho, very, very similar again. You know, very few people seem to focus on the fact that Fabinho's six foot two and similar to Van Dijk, another early league dominant player who's going to be sitting deep. 
Um, I actually look, looked for, I'll be saying this season or last season, how, how are we viewing 2019-20? Let's go Let's with go. last season in 19-20 and the new season could be this season. Okay, so Let's, last season. Let's switch. <laughs> last season, Europe's top five leagues. I think it was 1,500 minutes played. And I looked at sitting midfielders. So midfielders either playing as the deeper man in a midfield three or as part of a two. And Fabinho ranked third in Europe for aerial success. Can't remember the percentage, but it's just another, you know, reinforcing that that kind of eradication of being vulnerable in the air, which you just can't be in England. And I think he also in, introduced the kind of the kind of um, the control and the coolness that Liverpool quite clearly identified they needed after the four three against City, where it nearly went to the wire, and we conceded three late against Sevilla after being three 0 up. We introduced Van Dijk, we introduced Fabinho, just dominant figures who were just really cool no matter what. And I think it, 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 Fabinho's signatures made a you know a real difference to our Liverpool play. Particularly how they manage, manage, gain the lead and getting results. Yeah, I agree. I think for me, I was being a you know fantastic signing. I think he was managed really well when he came in. Um, you know, there wasn't an over reliance on them. There was almost like this bedding in period. Uh, defensive numbers were really good. Um, I wanted to see if Monaco, what formation Monaco were playing that year. I was I was curious to see whether it was like a four three three, and that's why he was. Highlights one of the candidates, and it looked like he was often in a two, but it was with um, Gian Martino a fair bit. He was obviously not really a defensive style player, so although in a two, the chances are he was doing the defensive work of two players despite playing in a double double pivot. Um, yeah, I also thought it was quite interesting that his passing numbers in that final season with them were virtually similar to how many passes he sees now for Liverpool and I do think that's a point worth highlighting when it comes to recruitment in terms of you know things like passing you know if it's and I suppose you alluded to a little bit with Van Dijk about the changes how Southampton played to Liverpool but you know if you're um, a midfielder who sees you know 35 passes per 90 but then you're going to be coming to Liverpool and seeing arguably double that you know, there's question marks whether you can then um, size up your things like your accuracy in those passes and whether you can do it successfully. Um, and I think it's it, that's something probably Liverpool consider. Um, and obviously, he, he it's 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 worked. You know, they know that he he can see that level of passes per ninety and keep up the same kind of accuracy levels. Yeah, just shared a little screen there. So those who are listening on the podcast. If you want to see the visualizations we use and go to the YouTube channel, but that that's Monaco's most used system in League One in the year before we signed Fabinho. As you can see, David, as rightly paired with the uh, Jamutinho, mm. but a little bit more of the defensive partner, a little bit deeper uh, with the the attacking quarter basically doing what he wants. I actually thought it was a force four two kind of transformed into a 4 2 2 2 but according to this tool that we're using here it's it's saying 4 2 3 one but yeah i think for being your really important sign signing obviously you also couple in the fact that he's never injured 
and the fact that we bought him age 24 again another player that we've bought just as he's entered in his peak it's just they're all just every one of them is just a sensible buy it's, it's quite clear if you look at all the perks they offer and the the negatives they, they don't really offer um and the risk attached to them and stuff like that how do you make sense in terms of the squad and the teammates addressing weaknesses making the team stronger they all just make so much so much sense um and with not long remaining of the podcast we'll finally move on to Alison, who kind of is the the cherry on the cake really isn't he mm, yeah um that's another really good buy the, the they've all you know basically everyone we've talked about here there's there's been huge purchases at important times for liverpool but there's just something about the Van Dyke and Allison one for me that felt like it. It just took Liverpool to that next level because um, the attack felt really good anyway. But just those two purchases, it felt like Liverpool went from being a a top four side to legitimate, you know, title challengers. And I mean, it proved to be that because they've they've gone on to finish second and then won it this year. And it does feel like they were the real kind of marquee buys for me. Yeah, I think it moves you, doesn't it, from from a good team to a great team mm. that that's the step you're making really even the way they both signed you know both turning up to the medicals in in all black suits mm. it's it was just it was just business it was just the business end of, of of like you know this is when we start challenging as an elite team this um i, I do think i must say i do think that the general importance and contribution of a goalkeeper i think is generally quite underestimated I think if you can have a top quality keeper between your sticks, it is honestly the difference between about 15 points at certain times, especially if, like say for example, Alisson and Kepa. Alisson and Kepa were both signed in the same summer for about the same fee. Since, how much more points has Alisson been worth to Liverpool than Kepa has for Chelsea? I'd actually say Kepa has had a minus influence on Chelsea. And I think on Liverpool's side, Alisson's probably had a plus, I'd say plus at least 10 points. So, you know, the difference is massive. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I'm sure I've said it on this show before, but there's a general agreement amongst like the, um, within the football statistician community that a goal over the course of a season will probably average out to a value of a point. So I always say, you know, if you're conceding 10 more goals as a result of a, a poor goalkeeper. Um, it's probably going to cost you ten points. Um, I, I, I just really quickly, I do have the some of the numbers for his last season. And Allison, you know, it, post shot xG against was thirty. What, what at Roma? At Roma, yeah. So this is just okay. before Liverpool signed him. Um, post shot xG against thirty seven point zero eight, and he conceded just twenty eight goals. So that's you know that's nearly ten goals there, and um, eighteen clean sheets as well that season. And yeah. you know we say you don't just judge a goalkeeper on clean sheets, which is true, but you do probably judge in in some ways at least a keeper and his defence on clean sheets. And something that's really I think important with Allison is how he just the the composure and the influence he has on the players around him, you know, the, the defenders in front of him. Um, and I think that's really important. We've seen it at Liverpool now. I think he's not just a good goalkeeper, but 
you just feel so much safer when he's on the pitch, don't you? From a Liverpool perspective, you feel so much more assured. And I think the defenders do as well. Yeah, according to save percentage as well, he placed um, Europe's top five leagues. He placed second behind only Jan Oblak in his final year at Roma, um, saving 81.5 of the shots that he faced. So, and again, again signed aged 24, right before his peak again. It's it's something that, bit of a recurring theme throughout. So I'll go back to that criteria. So young, full of potential, athletic, undervalued, available and attack-minded. Alison Tixty, young, full of potential, attack-minded, probably, un- well, not, not undervalued, I think it was probably fair. Available, yes. Athletic, well, I mean, he's a goalkeeper, isn't he? So, doesn't really have life at that one, but it's just, it just makes sense. Just persistently, year on year, Liverpool have just addressed weakness after weakness with every sign, um, making the team that bit more complete with every sign fitting the theme of, of what it means to be a Liverpool player, ticking on the boxes and all that sort of stuff. Hence why there hasn't really been any mistakes at all. Um, so it'll be interesting to see whether in in the coming weeks Liverpool stick with that theme because I'm just thinking now obviously the links with Thiago remain but I think Thiago would be possibly the first player that Liverpool have bought with the exception of you know a short term fix in Ragnar Klavan mm-hmm. Thiago would be the only player that Liverpool have bought who you could argue was actually past his peak obviously 29 so that would be an interesting, you know, adjustment of of the theme that we've seen for five years now or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, maybe if something further develops on that front, we'll we'll address it with a full episode or so. But yeah, and, and you want to add on that, Dave? Or... No, the only thing I've just realised is we've uh, we didn't uh, we've roused the sound like, but um, we we didn't touch on Oxley Chamberlain, which I thought might have been an interesting one. Yeah, well, I I also want to skip Wayne Alden, so yeah, maybe so, yeah. maybe we can you know if if it's, if it's equally as dry next week in terms of the the news front, the Liverpool front, maybe we can we can address further squad members. So yeah, first steps. Uh, sorry, I was going to say just on uh, Wayne Alden. Um, I had someone DMing me, and I think he tagged us in tweet as well. Um, bowler. Um, I think it's. Odegaard, but I, I might have that wrong. Sorry, Bowler, but he's been talking about Wild Alden because he. And I mean, I won't ruin it now. Maybe we should talk about it, but he's he, he just pointed out that you know statistically he doesn't really look that great in, in attack or defence. Um, and I've mentioned before, well, I mentioned it to him, and we've spoke about it that you know he kind of plays within himself, but um, maybe that's something we can look at as well next week if we have time. Just I, I look at what. What he brings, because he, you imagine if um, Thiago just does come in, that he could be the player that maybe misses out. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a common thing with Wijnaldum. I think he's uh, generally, in terms of his numbers, he's quite misunderstood. Um, but yeah, this was—I mean, this was the first. I think it was the first fan fan suggested full episode that we've done. Um, Obviously, we'll take that suggestion that you just mentioned on board ahead of next week. But if anyone does have any ideas, especially if there's no news coming to us 
from the footballing world, then give us a shout and we'll we'll maybe do another episode like this. So yeah, hopefully we've learned you've learned a little bit there and maybe there's a few more players next week. But thanks for joining us anyway, Dave. Yeah, cheers, man. Cheers everyone. And we will be back next week. See you later. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red Channel.